Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. Here I said I'm wearing this beautiful garment made by generous people to support me in my practice. I'm bathed in this incredible light that's, a, that's in this room right now. The you know, objective correlative of the light we all live in all the time. Both enlightenment and endarkenment that are always with us. And good morning. Good morning, Rosemary. Good morning, Darcy. Good morning, Ellen. Morning, Becky. I don't see any other faces online, but that may be because they're cut off by, I don't know. And thank you, Anne and, and Lori and Kim for being here and for everything you do for the Sangha. It's just so wonderful. I thought I, I, I was planning to give a talk today, but I, I was not uh, planning to be in the Zendo. Uh, my wife and I are in Austin for a wedding that's going to be happening in Dripping Springs or as locals and posers say, dripping. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, it'll be happening this afternoon. I thought it started at noon and they, I would have to leave immediately after the talk to make it to Dripping Springs. Uh, but it turns out it's not until three, so I got to come into Austin for this. So what a pleasure. I got to meet some people for practice discussion this morning and to just be here again. It's just so great. And so I want to give, I want to read a, a, a chapter from uh, Everyday Zen, which, uh, Everyday Zen, Love and Work, by Charlotte Joko Beck, edited by Steve Smith, uh, published originally in 1989. Okay, 1989. Mm -hmm. And um, it was, Joko Beck was one of the people that first attracted me to Zen practice, Joko Beck. And, Stephen Batchelor. I bought you know, dozens of books and actually read a couple of them. Uh, but uh, Joko Beck really got communicated something to me. And there, there's an introduction in this book that uh, has to do with um, talks about Joko's style of teaching and it, by one of her students. Um, and it, uh, it says her teaching is highly pragmatic less concerned with the concentrative pursuit of special experiences than with the development of insight into the whole of life. Vividly aware that powerful spiritual openings that are artificially induced do not ensure an orderly and compassionate life and may even be harmful. Joko is skeptical of all muscular efforts to overpower one's resistance and find shortcuts to salvation. She favors a slower but healthier more responsible development of the whole personality, in which psychological barriers are addressed rather than bypassed. So, from where I was, that was very attractive language, and it remains very attractive language to me. Um, and one of her students, Elihu Genmyo Smith, who heads, I think, the Prairie Zen Center, who is still active, and who I understand has moved toward a much more uh, traditional wearing robes and, and, and move toward a, a more traditional Japanese style practice in, in that center uh, at, 
writing this in the 1980s said, there is another way of practice, which I call working with everything, uh, which he has learned from Joko, including emotions, thoughts, sensations, and feelings. Instead of pushing or keeping them away with our mind like an iron wall, or boring through them with our concentration power, uh, we open ourselves up to them. We develop our awareness of what is occurring moment by moment, what thoughts are arising and passing, what emotions we are experiencing, and so on. Instead of a narrow focused concentration, broad awareness is our, is our concentration. The point is to become more awake to what is occurring inside and outside. In sitting, we sense what is, we allow it all to go on, not attempting to hold it, analyze it, or push it away. The more clearly we see the nature of our sensations, emotions, and thoughts, the more we are able to see through them naturally. And uh, again, that's very attractive to me as a, as, a, as a description of a possibility of a way of awakening. Certainly not the only way, but as he said, this is just one way, uh, uh, another way, and one that's more aligned with kind of more American, more Western, more modern types of thinking that can include these things. And um, I saw a, uh, a mention of Jokobek in one of Barry Magid's books, in which he talked about the, the, the next thing I'm going to read, Joko's, one of Joko's uh, uh, talks uh, that he was present for originally. Uh, and, he's, and he, the talk is called Relationships Don't Work. Kind of stepping on the punchline here, but relationships don't work. <laughs> and he said, and he draw drew a line from Joko to her Japanese teacher, who was very strict, very you know had a very strict kind of Japanese formal orientation, and then uh, was was disgraced when when his indiscretions were were. Uh, became public and that Joko had left that teacher and stopped working with that teacher when that, when that occurred. And that he said that he, that he drew a line from that rupture to her talk, relationships don't work. Mm -hmm. I, as you hear the talk, you, I, I don't see, there's no mention of that. Uh, and she focuses in a different area. But what I wanted to, to just say, and again, in framing this, is think about how we talk about relationships at Avalon and how we talk about relationality as being important to our practice and how we even talk about um, as uh, there's a talk that Christoph gave about six weeks ago from a new book that I'm blanking on the title of right now but in which the writer a Zen priest and, and psychologist says we are not persons, or we, are, we are not individuals, we are not selves, we are persons. That is, we exist as the confluence of relationships, and that we cannot know ourselves, we don't exist without the relationships that constitute us. Physical, you know, from the, from the fundamental forces of the universe, all the way up through our psychology and biology and everything. Uh, and, you know, as the, as the Neil as, as one of the chants we say says, you know, that, that the, the, the Buddha nature is the very 
food we eat and the air we breathe, you know. And uh, anyway, so that, that's part of how, what I least understand we do. So then we get up to, there, there are teachers who um, I'd say, Take the take the psychological approach in a pretty in a pretty gentle manner. That are you know like Tarbrock and even Pimachora, let's say, and Yonge uh, Minguer. You know they they're junkie and they're they're and they they approach this style as in a in a kind of a welcoming way uh, that is um, just just welcoming. You know? And then there's Joko. <laughs> was uncompromising in certain talks, in certain ways that she approaches things. So relationships don't work. I recently returned from Australia. I went there hoping to enjoy some normal weather. So the first two days it poured, which was fun. Then for the last five days of Sashin in Brisbane, there was a cold gale. It was so strong that we could hardly stand up as we ran between buildings. We had to fight just to keep our balance. The wind was like a truck roaring over the roof the whole time. Anyway, it was a good session. And what I got, as I always do, is that no matter where you go, people are people. They are all wonderful and they are all troubled as people are everywhere. And the same questions plague Australians as plague Americans. They, just, they have just as much difficulty with relationships as we do. So I want to talk for a few minutes about the illusions we have that relationships are going to work. See, they don't. They simply don't work. There never was a relationship that worked. You may say, well, why are we all doing this practice if that's true? It's the fact that we want something to work that, that makes our relationships so unsatisfactory. So to me, that's not an answer to the question of why we're doing the practice. But she goes on. In a way, life can work but not coming from the standpoint that we are going to do something that will make it work. In everything we do in relation to other people, there is a subtle or not so subtle expectation. We think, somehow, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure this relationship out and make it work, then I will get what I want. We all want something from the people we are in relationship to. None of us can say we don't want something from those we are in relationship to. Even if we avoid relationships, that's another way of wanting something. So relationships don't work. Well, what does work? The only thing that, that works, if we really practice, is a desire not to have something for myself, but to support all life, including individual relationships. Now you may say, well, that sounds nice, I'll do that. But nobody really wants to do that. We don't want to support others. We truly support some, to truly support somebody means that you give them everything and expect nothing. You might give them your time, your work, your money, anything. If you need it, I'll give it to you, you might think or say. Love expects nothing. Instead of what we have, instead of that, what we have is games. I'm going to communicate our relationship so it will be better, which means I'm going to communicate so that you'll see what I want and give it to me. The underlying expectation we bring to these games ensures that relationships won't work. If we really see that, then a few of us will begin to understand the next step of seeing another way of being. We may get a glimpse of it now and then, yes, 
can do this for you, I can support your life, and I will expect nothing. Nothing. A meditative practice is not some airy process, but a way of getting in touch with our own life. As we practice, more and more we have some idea of this other way of being, and we begin to turn away from a self-centered orientation, not to an other-centered orientation, because it includes ourselves, but to a totally open orientation. If our practice is not moving in that direction, then it is not true practice. And since none of us can say other than that, I'm sorry, and, um, if our practice is not moving in that direction, it is not our true practice. Whenever we want anything, we know our practice has to continue. And since none of us can say other than that, it just means that for all of us, our practice must continue. I've been practicing a long time, yet I noticed that on this trip that I took to Australia, which was a long trip at my age, even though the session was good and had a, a strong impact on a lot of people, I was saying afterwards, well, that took too much out of me. I don't know if I'll do that sort of thing again next year. Maybe I need more rest. The human mind is like that. Like everyone else, I want to be comfortable. I want to feel good. I don't like to be tired. And you may say, well, what's wrong with that wanting a little comfort for yourself? There's nothing wrong with wanting it, unless it is, it is at variance with that which is more important to me than comfort, my primary or orientation in life. If that primary orientation doesn't emerge from practice, then practice isn't practice. If we know our primary orientation, it will have its effect on every phase of life on our relationships, our work, everything. If something doesn't emerge from practice that is more than just what I want, what would, uh, what would make my life more pleasant? Then it's not practice. Uh, I'm skipping over some parts here, and we'll read just a few more paragraphs. In a relationship, whenever we sense unease, that point where it doesn't suit us, big question mark should shoot up as to what is going on with us. How we can practice with the unease. I'm not saying that all relationships should be continued forever because the point of a relationship has nothing to do with the relationship itself. The point of relationship is the added power that life gets in working with it as a channel. A good relationship gives life more power. If two people are strong together, then life has a more powerful channel than it has with two single people. It's almost as though a third and larger channel has been formed. That's what life is looking for. It doesn't care about whether you are happy in your relationship. What, it's, what life is looking for is a channel. It wants that channel to be powerful. If it's not powerful, life would just discard it. Life doesn't care about your relationship. It's looking for channels for its power, so it can function maximally. That functioning is what you are all about. All this drama about you and him or her is of no interest to life. Life is looking for a channel, and like a strong wind, it will beat on a relationship to test it. If there is a little wanting, then the relationship is strong, and it will function. That's all life is interested in. As a separate ego, with your separate desires, you are of no importance to life. I'll stop there.
Anybody feel like they just got some cold water thrown in their face? <laughs> That's the way I always feel reading these talks from Joko. So again, there's a lot in that language that's appealing to me. I mean, I, I myself have gone, I've, I've used this in talks before, but you know, when you get down to it, we are, our bodies are the machines that our genes have created so that we can move around. You know? And they require certain things, water, food, etc. But they all, the genes only want to reproduce. That's all they want. And, uh, you know, how it gets expressed in our lives is going to be very different and very difficult. And, you know, we don't always do what our genes want if that's, if that genes, uh, if that uh, transaction has to be, you know, creating children, for example. Uh, but at any rate, I do believe that, you know, I sitting here with this feeling that I am your person that has a life that matters, Actually, I, I see that, that there is an element of illusion in that because the thing that's alive is not me, it's the genes that created me out of the material that got brought together. You know, my parents came together and then I ate and, you know, continue on. So in a way, I'm agreeing with a sense that, um, of what Joko was saying, life doesn't care if you're happy or not. Life is... It's its own thing, it's its own self. And, and it binds us to the rest of the universe. Again, from the, from the fundamental forces all through everything connected through chemistry and electricity and magnetism and, bio, and, and our biological and, so, and psychological worlds that we live in. But you know, hearing this from, from Joko, I think this is a very bleak place, mm. you know? And, and I don't know if I had heard this in 1987, you know, how I could have, how I could have withstood it. Um, I mean, I, you know, on the one hand, Joko welcomes language and has, and taught her students like Peg and Flint and Barry Magic and the other teachers and, and, the, and uh, Diane Rosetto uh, and, and others. Uh, to welcome this language and to, to use it as a trailhead, you know, as a pathway for exploring what's really going on in our lives. But um, in talks like this, she, she really gets down to the practice aspect of it. How, you know, we can't make the mistake of thinking that just because we have strong emotions, we have conditioning and so on, that it's okay to hang on to those things. Even, even the attachment to self, you know. I mean, she puts it in a particular bleak way in this talk, I think. So, I, you know, I, I will just start, if I, if I may. I would like to ask for reactions to that talk. And I'd like to, and I'd like them to be in the context of what we know from our teachers, Peg and Flint, who have really emphasized that there is, you know, starting with, the Buddha saying to Ananda, lawyer reminded me of this earlier, that, you know, at some point Ananda says, I, you know, Buddha, I've figured out that 
spiritual friendship is like 50% of the whole spiritual life. And the Buddha says, no, it's 100%. Uh, that they, you know, emphasizing teachings like that, that and, and emphasizing teachings that say, you, you, you cannot know yourself except in relationship to other people. And when you have conflict with other people, that's actually, as Joko says, about wanting something, that's a signpost. Uh, it's like something to, okay, here's something to explore. If you're having a miscommunication or, or you're wanting something from another person, uh, that's, that's something to think, hmm, am I being self-centered here? Or am I, or can I be more open in the relationship? Speaking for those parts of myself that need to, that, that need to be spoken for, but not being so dependent on the outcome coming out the way I want, right? That's what I hear from Peggy. It's like, just be, you know, be gentle with yourself, but do it in a way that, that points to the kind of uncompromising quality also. Uncompromising is the wrong word. Unflinching quality that, that Joko uh, is pointing to in this talk, I think. So, um, you know, and I, I will say that there are certain situations particularly with Akamata, where I'm having conversations with people where I feel really challenged and really reactive. And um, that what I've come to realize is that the most important for, thing for me is to keep the relationship connected uh, and to uh, not, I mean, I, I'm a conflict avoidant person. Guess what I do when I get into a conflict is I break it off, you know? Those relationships have a, uh, I, I leave relationships more frequently than I start them up, you know, for that very reason. Uh, and um, I've just come to be able to realize through this practice and through the gentle, gentle reminders and prodding of others in the Sangha that I, don't, I do not have to be that way that I will not die if somebody disagrees with me. And it, you know, there have been times in the past where it's actually felt like life-threatening, uh, certainly in relationships with siblings. You know, you've heard me talk about those things. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And that there can be freedom, which again, allows for keeping relationships going, even if there is ongoing challenge. So that's my, that's my thought in reaction to what Joko has to say. We have Nelda. Okay, yes, Nelda, you've got your hand up. Good morning, Joel. Oh, it's so good to see you in the Zendo. Isn't that great? Yes, so good to see everyone. And I heard a bit about your travails, so it's especially nice that you were able to get here. Good. Glad to have you. Um, Thank you for this talk. It feels so um, serendipitous and uh, I'm always amazed. I don't know why, because it happens so often uh, with the synchronicity of the cosmos. I think it's very timely for this season. And, and for me in particular, I needed to hear your talk and I really needed a reorientation. There's several points that you made uh, that just spoke loudly 
to me, especially at this time of year, um, which some call, at least in the tradition in which I was before, the season of love. And now I ask myself, isn't every moment the season of love? But that's an aside. Um, but your talk also reminded me now that we're in this season of, of, of many practices, um, celebrations, of, of many illusions and delusions about what that means. Um, and, uh, and we can see it in the suicide rate, the depression rate, sometimes even the death rate at this time of year. I think we can really glean um, from those statistics um, the attachment to uh, that we have to these illusions and delusions that take us so far afield from what Joko um, and Peg and Flint um, talk about. And I was chuckling for a moment as you were talking because you said life does not care if you're not happy. And it just so happened yesterday, I watched this um, show about dating sites. And the reality is dating sites don't care if you're happy and they really don't care if you find someone. <laughs> they, they have created these algorithms to keep your serotonin flowing, not to make you happy, not to pair you up. That is not their goal. The goal is to keep you addicted to the site. So I, th I, I just chuckled because I thought, wow, this even that fits with your talk and Joko's book. And so I'm sitting here and going, oh, I need to reorient. This isn't I need to remember, I guess, <clears throat> remember, this isn't about us as a community coming with our bowl to be filled. It's about us filling each other's bowl. And if our focus is on filling each other's bowl and hearts, our bowl gets filled too. And so there's this amazing flow that I find in Peg's teachings and Flint's teachings and your teachings, um, in Lori's and Anne's and uh, who else is in there? Yeah. Yeah. Kim's teachings. Um, it's a wonderful flow and it doesn't start with receiving. It starts with outpouring. And so thank you for the reminder. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nelda. We have Ellen. Okay, wait, question for Nelda. Sure, sure. So what is serotonin? What brain chemicals make you happy? Serotonin. It's serotonin. But the, you were saying that you, what, what the dating sites give you is a kind of a serotonin loop that keeps you there and keeps you from then moving on to what might affect your long-term happiness. Is that right. right? That's okay. correct. Okay, yes. thank you. <clears throat> Ellen? You're muted. Got it. Um, thank you for the talk. And uh, you said to relate this to what you've learned from a teacher and, uh, and to Joko Beck's talk. And so the, the uh, quote you gave about between uh, the Buddha and Ananda, I learned that from Peg, that uh, spiritual friendship is 100%. And what stood out for me in the talk was uh, about uh, in relationship that it uh, it uh, strengthens the pathway 
the the living pathway, the life path, pathway of life. And uh, and so I was thinking about, oh, you know, just looking at that, oh, have I experienced that? And I certainly have. And I really love it that she talked about that. Um, as far as uh, facilitating uh a program, you know, an Appamata program, I would much rather collaborate. I would so much rather collaborate. Uh, you and I collaborate on something right now. And Kim and I have collaborated um, repeatedly. And I really love, uh, it, it is definitely a, a stronger life with the collaboration. And then I was thinking about the Zazen and Share program, Rosemary, monitors that and that and she's definitely part of the collaboration uh she, she has a she has something to offer to that and that that strengthens it and then the whole darn group participates really kind of like what we're doing right now like this right now is is what Joko Beck was talking about about coming together increases the life flow and that happens you know anytime we all come together. And I don't know, that just really impresses me, uh, moves me, makes me happy. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Becky, hi. There. There you go. Hi. Hi. Um, I've, I've had a lot of thoughts through all of the talk and, and so on. Um, one, I don't think it's just the genes. Mm. <laughs> that I, I, I think we go back to that mitochondria thing uh, in, in terms of our, our relationships. I think there's a drive in people to, to have relationship that is part of our life and and so on but i think it's a a bigger thing than just the reproduction uh, that that that's about so anyway <laughs> um but and and then the other thing that with joko's readings it was it was the first book that i that i read when i started having a, a or it was the first one that I had before I even had a uh, sitting practice. Um, and it helped me be open to all the teachings in a different way uh, because, uh, because she made me chuckle a lot of times because she also clearly has some um, tendencies that have to do with with not over ritualizing without over you know like like to have that be an important part of something but not the like nobody could come nobody could come to the zazen and and just do that if if it was all about the form all about the ritual, that her teachings make it clear you haven't really gotten here. Yes, did you? I, I wanna interject. There's a part I skipped over in the chapter where she says, I know some people that say they've been practicing for 30 years, but I don't know what they're doing. 
they might have been they might as well have been working on their golf stroke <laughs> yeah that's sort of so, you know what what i and and also i think that there's a strong tendency amongst people because it's something that they want to embrace something that they can have the ritual of religiosity somehow that that's soothing for them and that that's what they try to to do but i really i mean i really do think that our relationships are the richest aspect of our lives and yes even when they go bad you know in one way or another but one of the things i love about having as much relationship within the sangha as as i'm able to is is that you have people who have the same intent or a similar intent uh, with their own little parts to it and so on and that that makes it a safer place for us to experience some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, then we can learn, I learn more about myself and what some of my delusions, some of my habits, some of, you know, all of the, all of the many things, my reactivities and so on. And so I've really appreciated living somewhere now where it's fairly easy for me to be in relationship to other people as well. And some of those have some, some clear, I've chosen a couple of very difficult relationships because I feel that, that it is part of, that person can be part of my teach, teacher. And, um, and so, you know, yes, I have some specific personal needs in terms of my health and, and, and being um, cautious about how much stress I am engaged with. And the, one of the women that, that she and I have set up a regular time every week that we'll get together. She's not on my floor, so I don't see her unless we just happen to. And yet uh, we just, she decided that, that she really, you know, she calls me her best friend and so on. And so I try to encourage her to say, you know, like to have many friends. I don't want to be pulled bad and, or, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, it's, it's been really interesting because she's, she's, she has a whole, whole lot of issues going on. And one of them is that she doesn't have personal boundaries and doesn't allow them to anybody else. And I need them. I, I need boundaries. And so to do that with her in as loving a way as I can and be as clear as I can has been a wonderful experience that I feel supported by the teachings and by my uh, interactions with the Sangha. And, and I, I just want to say how grateful I am for that. It's, it's like, let me explore someplace that otherwise I might have needed to just push away. And, and that's been really rich, sometimes irritating. <laughs> and that's the teaching is, okay, what, do you, what is it about this that irritates you? And, and so it's, it's, it's quite wonderful. Um, I, 
I was still keep trying to think about this thing though, about what what is being called life that that doesn't care, that doesn't whatever. Because I mean, if we look at that all life has a Buddha nature, which I believe all life has a Buddha nature, but that is to the extent of, of saying that that our Buddha nature has has to do with like for me to try to be the the best human being I can be the the, the that I that I invite and embrace whatever whatever feels to me like it goes along with all of the other within the, all of the other precepts and and so on to to say yes i will i will place myself and choose to be in a place that i can then stretch to that best that i can be while having huge compassion for myself sometimes <laughs> it takes a great deal of effort sometimes uh, to recognize that I'm, I'm not likely to get there in this lifetime, but it is the, the momentum of it that, that I want to embrace, that possibility. And so to me, life, life energy also includes what we humans experience as love and and therefore it 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 can't just not matter it can't just be that that if if we're not doing that that it, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. So that was one of the things that I'd actually like to hear somebody else talk a little bit about more too, because that felt to me that it's dismissive by saying life, life doesn't care. But I think I think that all life has that part that we call love. And so I'd, I'd like to hear other people's thoughts on that because I hadn't gotten Thanks, Becky. Thank you. Have a comment about well, that. Um, I, I tend to look at that as so Tarsi just to say that um, life doesn't loud, care. Yeah, louder. Oh, louder. Uh, that life. <clears throat> is a force that doesn't care about an individual's desires. And that's how I understand it more. It's like, um, uh, what would be an example? Like the weather, you know, the weather, we need rain and we need this and we need that. And that helps create life and brings life, the rain and all this. But, it doesn't care about the individual, how that affects a particular individual in and of itself. It may be awful for someone who doesn't, you know, it's freezing cold and they're, they're on the side of the road with a flat tire or something. It's immaterial, it's, it's gonna happen. And it's, 
it doesn't have an opinion about the individual. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. In that sense. I don't know if that helps or not, but we have Darcy. <coughs> So I think the language feels harsh in a way, and um, y'all want to feel cared for, and that is definitely Darcy, it's hard to hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? That's better. That's better. If, if it's not okay, then I I just won't because I do sometimes have problems with my speaker. Now that that's good right there. Okay. Um, I think the language can feel harsh with that. You know, the not caring. Um, so um, but what what I wanted to say is I, I think what it feels like to me is um, she's trying to take us to a deeper level beyond our preferences. And um, whether I'm happy or not, it just isn't the point. You know, it's not like somebody doesn't care, but it's that there's something bigger and more. And um, because I, I, you know, I just, it seems like very often I recognize I have a thought that is producing a feeling of being unhappy. Or sometimes it's a feeling tone that doesn't, I can't even relate to a thought. But um, when I recognize that, and and I can connect with this thing, this bigger sense of the universe supporting me that is love and its connection. Sometimes I can't do it when I'm by myself. And I think that's why relationship is a powerful channel, you know, because we need each other to get that. Um, yeah. I. Joko just kind of knocks everything off the table sometimes and just, it, 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 it can be a little uh, kind of, you're not in the right place, it just, just doesn't work for you. <laughs> but that's, that's where it takes me. I'm just, uh, um, quite honestly, to be happy, it, it, you, you, that's not the point. Why doesn't deliver what you can call happiness? Anyway, that's I, I have trouble expressing what I'm trying to say. That's the best I can do right now. Thanks, Darcy. So I wanna I wanna say something before Rosemary, if I may, uh, which has uh, when I first started attending. Apamana, uh, I came to inquiry often, and I was floored by people who were brave enough to get up and talk about really important things, deep things in their lives. 
that took a lot of courage to get up in front of, of other people and to reveal to a teacher, you know, someone who had psychological training, who was, you know, had a role and wore special robes and that kind of stuff. And yet people were doing it week after week. And that's that uh, was the the web of the relationship. Hmm. Not just like a teacher to a student, not and, and certainly not individual relationships, you know, outside the Zendo or anything, but to show this possibility that there could be a way of communicating that would be uh, safe enough so that people could get at least the recognition of what they were going through yeah. and, and so that they didn't have to be stuck in those places, you know, uh, that, that, that that was so powerful for me. And that's, that's what I think uh, Nelda was talking about before, you know, the, the image of the bowl, I mean, which goes back to the Buddha's day, of course, and thousands of years before that of a begging bowl, mendicants going in the community to be supported by literally the food they ate. And that, you know, we have this, this new metaphor, or so many other metaphors that grow out of the, of the begging bowl, that we, you know, if we focus on on filling each other's bowls, we, our, our bowl will get filled too, in a way that it never can if we only focus on the emptiness of our own bowl. You know? uh, and that somehow, conversations like this and conversations like happen in inquiry, where people are willing to come forward and speak the truth about difficult things in their lives, um, that is, that is the way in which we can best fill each other's bowls. I think that's that's where I am right now. Rosemary. Okay. Hi. Uh, first, I have a, a message from Nelda to the group uh, about those chemicals. She says that the the body's happy chemicals are in addition to serotonin, dopamine, and endo and endorphin so there you go, there you go. happy chemicals um so um i found something positive in this um that um the uh relationships the the connection i think you said this laurie that this strength in the in the connectedness so i thought that was very positive and also um in um that was one of my first books too and i i was really <coughs> set with with um joko just so sharp and um, you know uh everyone was talking oh she's so psychological and yet she's saying oh everybody goes to therapy and blah 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 she was like okay but then i read and now i'm reading ordinary wonder where she has like taken a, a turn in um in uh i don't know if i'd say gentleness but certainly you know, paragraphs on forgiveness, and she's just widened her um, her view of how she presents um, what we struggle with and how to kind of get out of it. And in terms of the um, life doesn't care about your happiness, she focuses on this book and on joy that, and she defines this as the cycle of things we like that are happening and things that we don't like that are happening. And she 
kind of defines that from what I remember as joy, that cycle. So that I, I really liked, I'm, I'm very happy I'm reading this, this other book. Um, and in terms of my own uh, connections and learning here in the Sangha, um, you know, I always see therapy as a, a safe, like a lab, you know, if you can get mad at your therapist, you can go out and assert yourself in the world. And I feel like that with the Sangha too, if I can tolerate the uh, intimacy of the relationships here, um, I feel like that that's what can happen, you know, and has, you know, for me in my life as well. Um, and Ellen, who was um, so nice to, to mention our Wednesday Zazen and Share, and I mean, I'm basically the monitor, however, um, Ellen would begin to send me, you know, paragraphs on how she was going to present that day. And I'm thinking, why is she sending me all this stuff? That's, that's how it felt in the beginning. Then it dawns on me, we are collaborating. And I had no awareness, you know, it took a while. And so thank you, Ellen, for, for, um, seeing uh our relationship in that way and uh teaching me that mm. thanks thank you so much let's close with our closing ceremony